At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Thank you for downloading and listening today, wherever you are doing so, whether it be on the way to the stream, on the way to work, or on the way to fold some laundry. Today, I'm going to be talking about urban fly fishing. And let me kind of categorize what I mean when I say urban. I'm saying urban in contrast to rural. So I'm, I'm not saying that we're talking only about fishing in big cities, cities with skyscrapers and uh, tens of thousands of people. I'm talking about fishing in town because uh, there's a lot of great fly fishing opportunities in large cities, in medium-sized cities, and in small towns. But the thing that links them all together is that it is not that normal pastoral rural imagery that we're used to seeing when we think about fly fishing. So why would we even do this? Why would we go someplace where there's people? Why would we go somewhere there's traffic? Why would we go somewhere where there's noise when we could get everything we want from fly fishing by going somewhere tranquil and peaceful and quiet? Well, the fact of the matter is there's fish in all of these places. And some of these places that might not be your typical fly fishing spots not only hold a lot of fish, but they're going to be closer to you and easier to access. One quick example. Some of my very first fly fishing opportunities came in a town setting. There were houses, we were in backyards, uh, there were swing sets right up against the stream, uh, there were bridges, there were sidewalks. It was not what I would come to know as a traditional fly fishing spot. However, there was a lot of trout there. They were they were all over the place, and there was a lot of easy access for a young angler, and there was a lot of challenges because these were fish that had been fished to by lots and lots of people. Inevitably, there were people there that were poaching, that were using worms, that were using power bait. And even though this is a fly fishing, catch and release only stretch of stream, these fish were getting hammered by people, by pets, by wildlife. They were out in the open. But it was a great place to learn how to fish. It was easily accessible. And this is a situation that I came across this summer also down in Virginia. I was uh, hanging out with the family and we wanted to go splash around in a creek. And the creek that we ended up splashing around in was a trout stream. Uh, it had easy access. There were signs everywhere talking about uh, how the conservation projects had come together to help preserve the population of fish. And honestly, if you're going to splash around in a creek, it might as well be a clean, cold uh, stream that uh, has had a lot of improvements done to it. And so it's the same kind of situation. 
this was flowing through a town. There was noise. There was a park in the background. You could even hear highway sounds off in the distance. But these streams oftentimes are kind of made to be healthy, made to be accessible uh, because of their setting. Whereas a smaller stream and a faraway situation isn't necessarily going to get that same kind of attention. It might not be in a situation where it requires that sort of rehabilitation, but it's not going to get that same sort of attention to bring it up to speed. Now, right off the bat, am I advocating that this is the kind of stream that you ought to seek out? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. If you have your wild trout streams that you're perfectly content with, then by all means, continue to fish those. But there are some things about these streams that run through towns that can really give you great opportunities. So here's the first one. You might be the only one fishing them. You might be the only one fishing them. So in contrast to what I mentioned earlier, as far as a little trout stream that kind of is well known that's flowing through a town because it has signs, because it has access, because it's been the source of not just conservation projects from like Trout Unlimited, but also from that town. And so there's been all sorts of pomp around getting the stream rehabilitated and trout being a central part of the stream. Obviously, beautification is usually uh, a big aspect of it and kind of conservation and environmentalism in general. But trout are usually the, the stars of the show when when, uh, when they come back. But there's oftentimes where you can find streams that flow through cities and towns and everything in between that hold populations of fish that are not being approached. So I actually uh, came across this in, uh, in Italy once where I was in Italy and we were walking through a town and there was a little uh, channel. Uh, it was a stream that flew out of the mountains and it flew down into this walled city and it had been channelized. And so it was all concrete. I mean, it looked like a concrete raceway. It was a glorified deep ditch that flowed through the town. And back in the uh, Middle Ages, uh, this was where they got their, their water for, for the town. And then it turned into a nice pretty stream on the other side of the town once it returned to being a normal stream. Well, there was trout in this ditch. Uh, they were brown trout, and they were hanging out in this uh, moss-covered um, and weed-covered ditch. And they were just chilling under bridges, under undercut banks that were made by rocks. And they were all over the place. Now, you probably couldn't fish for them. It probably was was against the rules there because uh, it's it's Europe after all. But this just shows you how fish are going to adapt. They're going to find places where as long as the water quality is good then they're going to find a way to eke out a life. I've encountered the situation in cities in the United States as well, where you find a little stretch of stream where maybe it looks like it's a glorified culvert or a glorified ditch, and there are trout swimming in it. There's a small central Pennsylvania town uh, that uh, I, I spent quite a bit of time in when I was doing social work because I was driving all over the place in south central Pennsylvania, pretty much in any and every town in Adams County, Cumberland County, Perry County uh, that you can think of. And uh, there's this small town that had a stream that was running through it. And it was kind of in between a bunch of row homes and uh, on one side and factories on the other. And so there was really no access from a, a perpendicular standpoint. Like you couldn't just like walk uh, in, into the stream because in people's backyards or there was this long, long factory, old brick building, probably from the 1920s. 
However, uh, if you got to a bridge and you were able to get down into the water, uh, then you were able to access it from a parallel perspective. Well, this stream was loaded with fish. There was no no fishing signs. The uh, waterway, because it was at one point navigable by uh, for, for commerce because of some of the um, paperwork uh, that, that I located uh, in the town records, it was, it was accessible for anglers and there was trout in it. Uh, now, nobody else was fishing there. Maybe somebody who lives in one of these, ta- uh, these houses and these row homes was you know, throwing a line off their, their back deck, but there's a very good chance that there was no one else that was fishing for these fish. So the fish are going to find a way to live in these places. And if they aren't bothered by people, and if the environment is right, if the water quality is okay, which of course is a big thing to think about when you're in, in towns and cities, but we're in, in, in the 21st century. So much work has been done to remedy the significant issues that have been plaguing our waterways, even in urban settings, uh, or as I just mentioned, Pennsylvania, in agricultural settings uh, over the last 100 years. And so you'd be amazed at how resilient these waterways are and the trout populations that call them home, where they were maybe once relegated up to the little feeder creeks and having their, their little noses in spring seeps, places that had a lot more of a buffer when it comes to environmental issues. Now, as these waterways are being cleaned, as so many acts and uh, actions that have been taken place by federal and state and local agencies to remedy these water problems, these fish within a matter of years move back into the main branches of these uh, of these creeks. So uh, that's the first thing. There are there are fish populations, and not just trout. I mean, whether it be bass or carp or any other species you can think of, they will find their way into urban settings. Another great example is is I've caught fish in Boston. I've caught striper in Boston. I mean, that's not a surprise. But everyone does that. But I mean, I've been walking. And I stopped and I had my fly rod with me and I walked out into the water and I caught a striper with the skyscrapers behind me. Uh, that is not a uncommon thing, but it, it's something that a lot of people don't necessarily think of doing. Uh, so that's the first thing. There are fish there. Um, and once you find one fish, there's a very good chance there's a lot more. So just keep your eyes out as you're walking, as you're driving trace lines down from the mountains in through towns, trace lines from you know, rural spots that go through cities. And uh, as long as there's fish upstream and there's fish downstream, there's a good chance that there's fish in the middle too. So uh, keep your eyes out as you drive and as you're looking at maps. The second reason why you're going to find fish, and this is kind of a, uh, a corollary to the first one, is because of some of the interesting structure. So if you are fishing a rural stream, if you're out in the woods, if you're up in the mountains, what are you looking for? You're looking for drop-offs. You're looking for cover. You're looking for undercut banks. You're looking for pockets and holes. You're looking for all sorts of things like that for structure in the water. Well, what happens when you are in an urban environment where there's been engineering that's been done to a stream? And again, this is something that's going to happen in a big city. This is something that's going to happen in a little village where there is going to be a culvert put in and there's going to be a bridge that's put over it. What do you have there? You have cover. You have a place where a fish can go where you are eliminating the threat of overhead predation. Doesn't mean there's not going to be snakes and muskrats and you know ad- adventurous people, but there's not going to be herons and there's not going to be hawks. And so fish are going to move into those spots. Uh, what's going to happen if you have a... Um, 
a, you know, a retaining wall that's built. Now, these are not great for stream flow, and these are, are not great for, for stream health, but once they're there, uh, and they're there for a long time, what's going to happen? You're going to have places where there is erosion, where you are going to have a couple of bricks that fall out, where you're going to have some sort of maybe uh, a diversion pipe, and you're going to have a undercut bank, an artificial undercut bank, and the fish are going to gravitate to those spots. Um, you're going to have places where you have colder water coming in, you're going to have places where somebody has thrown a shopping cart in. Um, I remember uh, catching uh, a good-sized bass outside of D.C. in a little creek um, from underneath a bicycle. It's a bicycle that had gotten dumped a long time ago, and so it, weeds had covered it, but you could definitely tell it was a bicycle, and uh, a bass was hanging out kind of uh, underneath it and came out and, and slammed my fly. So is this perfect? Is this beautiful? Would it be better for me to, instead of fishing for that fish, going and taking that bicycle out? Maybe. I just also didn't want to get you know, cut by a rusty bicycle. Uh, but those things are there. And so that's why those fish are going to be there. And so you have to read the water, uh, instead of it being, you know, nice, natural, aesthetically pleasing things, you're gonna have to look for those things of these creeks where fish could hide, you have to kind of transpose what they represent. Uh, you know, they represent an undercut bank, they represent a downed log, they represent um, even just some cover of a tree, but it's actually a, a really uh, hideous bridge. And and so those are the places that you go for and the places that you target and the fish are going to respond just as, as well as they do uh, out uh, in, in the wild. So there are fish populations. There are great spots for you to target, even though they might not be pretty. Um, the, the next thing, though, to, to touch on when it, we talk about accessibility and we talk about fishing spots like this is you're going to have to deal with people. More times than I can think of, I'm thinking of one, two, three, I, I've had so many conversations um, where people have said, you can't fish here. I say, well, why can't I fish here? Well, it's in town. Okay. Is there a law saying you can't fish because it's in town? Now, there are a few places where I have been where the town has gotten permission from the Fish and Game Agency of the state to post to no fishing because these fish are effectively pet fish. Uh, they have beautified their stream, they have beautified their town, and they don't want people wading through there. And inevitably, it probably comes down to somebody who is in there poaching, or somebody who is leaving worm containers, or someone who is being a jerk about what they were doing. And so some concerned citizen uh, did what, uh, what what you can do, and they've made their, their voice heard, and they've made their mind known, and they've gotten things posted. And so I've encountered that in a handful of places, in places where you're really surprised that, that it happened, but it happens. But more often than not, you're allowed to fish there. But I've had concerned citizens. I've had government officials tell me I can't fish there. Now, a little bit of an aside. You need to have some bedside manner when you are a fly fisher. Uh, you are going to win more flies with honey than with vinegar. So does that mean you roll over and if someone yells at you, you just apologize and you you know give them all the flies in your wallet and and leave? No, but make sure that you don't, you know, do the whole thing. I know my rights. I'm going to just fish here and, you know, and forget you. Now, if the person becomes belligerent, you have a decision to make. But if someone is telling you, you know, I'm pretty sure you can't fish here, then have a conversation with them. Tell them how you're fly fishing. You can even say that you're going to catch and release. And if you're fishing in an urban situation, 
no matter where you are, just because of a lot of the things that are still in that water, a lot of the contaminants that even if that water quality is really, really good, it doesn't mean that the heavy metals that have been put in there from industrialization of the past have completely left those spots. I wouldn't catch and keep and certainly eat a lot of the fish from, uh, especially like where I live up in New England, where there's just so much factory uh, detritus that is still in these waterways, even though they have significantly cleaned up. So you can say that you're not going to keep the fish and that it really isn't that harmful to the fish and you know how you're interested in conservation, how you're interested in beautification. One of the best things that you can do is carry a net, not necessarily to catch fish with, but to throw trash in. If someone sees that you are picking up trash and that you're actually actively doing something to help something that they're concerned in, they're much less likely to berate you about fishing. But I have had police officers ask me what I'm doing. I've had uh, national park uh, uh, officials ask me what I'm doing. Um, I have had uh, like a one time a crossing guard told me I couldn't fish. I'm not sure you have a jurisdiction outside of the crosswalk, but you know these are things where you just have these conversations with people. And there's only been a few times where I've said, you know what, I won't fish. And uh, I've come back later, found that person when I'm not in my fishing gear, and just said, hey, uh, you know, can can I just show you what I'm pretty sure the rules are here? I just want to make sure that we're on the same page. Um, and you know what, if the fishing is exploratory and you're thinking it's not going to amount to much, it's not a fight that's worth having. Um, maybe you can swing back around and just say, Hey, I just want to make sure everything's all right. I, I, you know, just to let you know, I'm, I'm not offended by what happened. And there's, you, you get so much out of those small interactions or, or out of being humble. Um, even if you know, you're right. Uh, you are going to do a lot more if you approach these situations in the right way, especially if it's with somebody who actually legitimately has some sort of authority. Um, so again, I had a, a National Park Service uh, official uh, tell me that I couldn't fish somewhere. And at that point, I just said, all right, I'm just not going to fight this fight because she was being very pleasant and uh, circled back around a while later and, and had the conversation and, and basically said, you know, she's more concerned about the people getting hooked than about being about fishing and how it was a crowded day. They had a function going on. I totally get it. I mean, it wasn't crowded yet, but it was going to be crowded. And and so I, I totally get it. And it's one of those very reasonable things that I think part of being part of the community uh, is, is, you know, it behooves you to, to do such things. So that's something to be aware of, which I guess takes you to the next the next step about being respectful. There's a very good chance that if you are not fishing on someone's property, you're fishing adjacent to someone's property, whether that be a homeowner or a business owner or just somebody who is a concerned citizen about just the, the safety of, of that town and the cleanliness and the beauty of that area. So being aware of those things is incredibly important and just making sure you're being very conscientious. Don't be the one fly fisher that gives all outdoorsmen a bad name because you left some trash, uh, because you, you left a strike indicator, or because you maybe weren't handling a fish particularly well. So that's just something to think about. And a lot of this is common sense. It almost sounds silly saying it, but at the same time, I know that I've encountered a lot of anglers that don't necessarily use common sense. They're able to diagnose a uh, presentation well, they're able to read a trout stream well, but they become very myopic and very kind of narrow-minded when they hit that water. So it's important to remember to be human when you go and fish around other humans. And it's important to be human when you're not even around other humans. So 
All right. So there's fish in these places. There's places where these fish are going to go that you're able to see. Uh, remember that you need to make sure you're fishing where you're allowed to fish and make sure that you're being a good representative of the greater angling community when you go and fish these places. Lastly, and I guess this kind of goes along with the, the last couple of things, uh, be ready to be a spectacle. Be ready to be a spectacle. Uh, I've got a buddy up here who caught an enormous carp out of a canal in a, uh, a, a town. It's actually a city. And uh, just the, the picture of him with this fish, there's a crowd of people in the background. Um, I've had this happen before, um, catching uh, big fish in D.C., where just people start to gather around. Uh, I've had this happen in in towns in Pennsylvania where I'm I'm fighting a fish and uh, it's it's making all sorts of commotion and people stop and 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 look and it's something that you know you definitely can't get frustrated by and it leads to all sorts of good conversations so take advantage of that be an ambassador for fly fishing be an ambassador for cold water conservation be an ambassador for whatever people are asking about you know you are an ambassador for that trout stream you you are maybe telling somebody something that will give them pause before they throw their trash on the ground as simple as that sounds as like 1980s reduce reuse recycle talk as that sounds that's the kind of stuff that will get people realizing there's actually something cool going on here now might people say i'm going to go fish in this spot and they might not have the same ethic that you do yes that's always the risk that you run when you are fishing in town when you're fishing in the city but the fact of the matter is that's usually not a long-term ambition a long-term goal that people have if they're in it just for a quick cheap thrill uh, and more often than not, it's, uh, it's, you're, you're not going to find a lot of people going back to that spot. Uh, people that are in it to cause problems are going to cause problems for a short amount of time. Uh, but if you have to put in hard work, if you have to put in some effort to get to those fish, then inevitably it's going to be there for you over and over again. Uh, the, the, the bigger issue in these settings and situations is environmental, not necessarily from people. So be ready to have those conversations, be ready to be looked at and stared at and actually have people have, take your picture. That's happened before as well. So a few comments on urban and in-town fly fishing. Do it. Explore. Adventure. Like I said, this might get you on fish that haven't been approached recently. This might get you on fish that, uh, that are very, very close by. And this might get you fishing in a way that is unique and different and exciting. If you like the thrill of the hunt as much as you like the thrill of the catch, then this is definitely something to think about and something to do. And especially if you're willing for it to be a species other than trout, you're going to be well awarded as you pursue fish. Um, if, if you get online, uh, you, you'll you find all sorts of videos of people catching fish out of sewers, people catching fish out of storm drains, uh, people catching fish out of just little potholes and canals. Um, it's it's remarkable what people do and where people do it. And uh, again, you'll, you'll see the best and the worst of public interactions uh, when it comes to anglers and people as they are catching fish in urban and in-town settings. This week on Casting Across, two articles that just did really, really well. Thank you all for reading them and for sharing them. It's just two, two very good days uh, on, on the website. The first article is called Four Fall Fly Fishing Gear Essentials. Four Fall Fly Fishing Gear Essentials. And I'll tell you what those things, three of those things are. Uh, one is a fly box. I mean, there's a lot of directions you can go with that. Uh, one is a backpack, but it's a very special backpack. 
And the uh, third uh, that, that I talk about here is actually a headlamp. Um, now, uh, there's a fourth one there, and all the details for those uh, are, are in that, that article. But I think it's really important to know uh, that uh, you are going to have to change the way you approach fly fishing come fall. And the name of the game is adaptability. Adaptability. Because uh, I saw a meme the other day about uh, it's not sweater weather. It's wear a sweater in the morning and regret it in the afternoon weather. And the same is true if you are not prepared with the proper gear for fly fishing, where you start off one way and you end up in another way. And that's true for clothing. That's true for uh, your your gear. I mean, you might start with the big streamers and then it warms up and the sun hits the water and there's a hatch. So if you brought that eight weight and only streamers, uh, yeah, you can continue to, to grind and try to catch fish on uh, you know, on, a, on a big articulated uh, deceiver or game changer, something like that. Uh, or you could switch up to a dry fly and catch some fish up on top before things get frozen over in a couple of months. So it's about adaptability. So I talk about some of the, the pieces of gear that I use so that I can be adaptable when I'm on the water in the fall. Wednesday's article is called Four Ways to Know You Shouldn't Fish in Fall. Four Ways to Know You Shouldn't Fish in Fall. And this is kind of a PSA reminder uh, with some steps on how to assess and approach a stream, especially if you have a fall spawning population. So for me, that's brook trout up here in the Northeast. Uh, and I need to make sure that I'm not fishing over fish that are in the business of making more fish. Or I'm not waiting over fish that have already done the deed by which more fish are made. So talking about that is not as common sense, again, as you would hope and think. So uh, four ways to know you shouldn't fish in fall was Wednesday's article. This week's recommendation on the podcast is clothing, but it's not any clothing. It is branded clothing. It is branded clothing from the sunglass company Costa Del Mar. Now, I've talked about Costa Del Mar sunglasses and how they are my absolute favorite. I exclusively use them. Well, that's a bit of hyperbole. I do have a pair of running sunglasses that I use around the neighborhood that are cheapies, but uh, when I go on long runs, I use Costas. But uh, they have quality performance fly fishing clothing and wear around clothing and hiking clothing and clothing for wearing I'm wearing a long sleeve button up shirt right now from them that is just really really nice uh, performance fabric so you know nylon polyester cotton blends lycra all that sort of stuff that you're used to now you're you're potentially going to see some of this stuff and see the price tag and say Ugh, this is this is expensive but what you'll see is they're constantly rolling out new things and which means they're constantly putting things on sale so if you are somebody who doesn't like paying full price for stuff period especially stuff that's branded uh you can definitely go onto Costa's website and you're going to find their performance clothing and you're going to see different colors and different styles that are at steep discounts. Uh, and I have nothing but good things to say about their long sleeve sun shirts. Um, their short sleeve, uh, you know, kind of athletic cut shirts are awesome for, you know, summertime stuff, but they're great right now for an underlayer, a base layer uh, beneath your, your long sleeve shirt as the temperatures get a bit squirrely. So I'll put a link to exactly what I'm talking about, the sales section of their performance clothing uh, catalog on this podcast show notes over at castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.
Mondays. Head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that, Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.